I invite you to turn to uh, Exodus chapter 32 to begin with because it really sets the table for what we're about to look at in Exodus chapter 33 and 34. We've gone over this before, so I'll go over it very quickly, but it is what is sandwiched between the two teachings uh, on the tabernacle itself, uh, starting at ver chapter 25 and then starting back up again at chapter 35 to 40, you have another teaching in regards to the articles of the tabernacle. We've gone over those. We've been through that. And uh, we know that that is God's method in which he's to meet with his people, the, the nation of Israel. And so while Mo Moses is on the mountain, Mount Sinai, for 40 days, for 40 days, he's up on the mountain and he's experiencing unbelievable intimacy with God the Father. I don't think there is anyone ever, aside from maybe, the, well, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, but the Apostle Paul, who experienced this kind of intimacy with God while still in human form. And that's where Moses was, up on the mountain, enjoying the presence of the Lord. And then chapter 32, while he was up on the mountain, they were down in the valley. And it says, and when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, the people gathered themselves together under Aaron and said unto him, up, make us gods. That's an audacious statement, really. It isn't a statement of, uh, Aaron, what do you think about this? Uh, Moses is up there and I, he may never come down. Why, God may strike him dead. We may never see him again. Um, what do you say we go this direction? No, that's really not the, the vein in which this is said. They were basically saying, up, let's get to it. Make us gods. We're in control now. No longer are we going to allow, allow our direction to be determined by Moses or Aaron or Joshua or any other of the leaders. We are now going to take matters in their own hands. And that's exactly what they did. And so they made a molten calf. They said, uh, Aaron said, okay, doesn't seem to be any hesitation on his part. Okay, he says, break off the earrings and, and all the gold. Where did they get all that gold? Well, God allowed them to take that out of Egypt so they wouldn't be in the desert bereft. But eventually that gold would be used for what? Well, it would be used for the making of the tabernacle, wouldn't it? And here it was being used to make a molten calf. I want you to notice what they made. They, they made what, what would be called a holy cow, right? Well, it's a holy cow. Isn't it amazing that it's a calf? Of course, history will tell us that they got that out of Egypt. Now, that's what they did in Egypt. They worshipped the beasts. And here, God is saying to them that, that, that I've given you dominion over the calf. Now, why didn't they make some large guy with 35-inch arms that towered over them and could actually control their every move? No, they made a calf. Why did they make a calf? Well, that's what they did in Egypt. Well, that's what they did in Egypt so that they could control their gods 
so that ultimately they stand in as God. It, it's human nature. It's, it's the very tendency of our own behavior. We, we want to be spiritual. We, we, we find this hollowness in us, this desire, this soul that, that needs spiritual feeding, and yet we want to do it our way. God was not pleased. Verse number seven says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go thee, get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Now I want you to notice something that, that is, to me, I am almost positive of this. You say, well, this is a judgment on that nation of rebels. True it is. True it is. But God is doing something else. God is also testing Moses. God wants to see whether Moses is the leader that God desires. This is what he said in verse 7. Now listen to it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They're yours, Moses. Now what are you going to do? And then God gives, goes even a step further. I want you to see this. He goes even a step further. He, he lays out just a little more of a test to Moses. Verse 10. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make thee a great nation. You see what he was saying to Moses? He was saying, listen, we will smoke them, and I'll start over with you. I'll start over with you. I am the God of, 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 of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We'll start all over it. We'll, I'll be the God of Moses. Why did he do that? Oh, I believe he was testing Moses to find out whether Moses really had the heart of a leader. Because the heart of a leader does never give up on his people. And Moses had spent enough time with God to, to be able to glean the heart of God. And Moses responds in a very godly-like fashion, doesn't he? Verse number 11, And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy, my wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with great might, the might of hand. And so we go on in verse uh, chapter number 32 and verse number 30, 24. We'll have to go through this quickly. And I said unto them, whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me. Then I cast it into the fire and there came out. Look how. That was Aaron speaking. <clears throat> when Moses had asked him, this was his response. It's just almost as though it, it, it's so unbelievably lame that it would hit the number one charts for lameness. What an unbelievable statement. 
I just cast the gold into the fire and woof, out came the calf. And so the response of the people, we had a calf in Egypt. And they began to do all kinds of immoral acts. I could only be so blatant as to say, and it seems to be understood by all Bible teachers, that it was what they considered a holy orgy. Unbelievable. Now I want you to notice something, the contrast. Here's the contrast. Now listen. The contrast is a man up in the mountaintops experiencing unbelievable fellowship with the God of heaven. Fellowship that had never been experienced by any human being on earth prior to this point. Here's Moses at the mountaintop. Here are the people down in the valley. What a contrast. But we're left with the same decision. We still have the valley. The valley is as dark as it's ever been. Go out there in the world. You'll find out just how dark it really is. When, when we have in our, well, should I say this? I will. Recently, we had this big pep rally at our high school. And we have these girls dressed in very little. And they jump and dance in front of the whole student body. Whole thing. I'm pretty ugly. You won't want to see me dance, but here are half barely dressed barely dressed girls. Oh, it's a dark world out there, you see. Where are we going to spend our time? In the valley? Or on the mountaintop? Moses was experiencing the, the most intimate of fellowships to the point where he, he knew the heart of God so intimately that when God threw this test at him, Moses, listen, I'll wipe them all out. We'll start with you, your sons, your offspring. We'll start all over again. Oh, what a temptation that was for Moses. Well, he probably could have thought to himself, man, alive, I, I need to give that some thought. That's not a bad deal. Look what these people are doing. They're running around dancing nude in the camp of God, the God of heaven. And here's their, their, their molten calf, and, and Aaron says, oh, look, we got a feast coming. We got a feast coming. We'll, we'll use this molten calf, and we'll use it right alongside of the feast. Remember when the altar was put in the temple of Dagon? And, 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 and there it sat, and, and overnight God said, and he crushed Dagon, dropped him down into pieces. Why? Because God is a jealous God, you see. He will not be in the presence of other gods. You say, well, oh, it's a good thing, you know, because oh, we don't worship these idols no more. I'm afraid we're worse off today. We've got gods all around us. Are we going to spend our time on the mountaintop? Or are we going to dwell in the valley? It becomes a question for every one of us. Every day we wake up, we have that question lined up before us.
And so 3,000 men were killed because he said, who is on the Lord's side? The Levites stepped up. That happens to be Moses' tribe. They stepped up and he said, put on your swords. And they went out with probably with supernatural strength and slayed those who had given themselves over to this horrific idolatry. It wasn't hard to find them. They were the ones without clothes on. 3,000. And at the end of the chapter, he says, and now there's a plague. And now I'm sending a plague. How many more died? I don't know. But 3,000 once. Who knows how many twice. And then God got the attention of the nation of Israel. And that's where we are with chapter 33. He has gotten their attention. He has... Uh, taken that molten calf and, 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 and the, they, they boiled it down and he, he threw the evidence into water and then he said, drink it. Now you drink your God. You drink your God. Oh, there's many people that drink their God anyway, don't they? It's called alcohol, right? They're drinking their God. But he made them drink it. So the, the molten calf was gone. And all that was left was a God who still hadn't decided what he was going to do with this nation. And then it says in verse number two, uh, verse number one of verse, uh, chapter 33, And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart, and go up hence, thou and thy people, which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto you, Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob, saying unto thy seed, Will I give it? And I will send an angel. And I want you to notice that because this is what gets the attention of the people again. God was basically saying, listen, I can't dwell with you. Any I did in the past. I dwelled with you. In fact, I gave you an opportunity to be a part of that. In, in Exodus chapter 20, and, 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 and the Lord showed his presence there. And they said, oh, my goodness. Listen, Moses, you go up. You talk to God. Oh, this is too much for me. I can't handle it. So Moses went up, you see, as a spokesman for God. Verse number three, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, and I will not go up in the midst of thee. In other words, I'm not going to go. I'm going to send my angel. I'm going to send an angel. Moses said, verse number four, it is said in verse number four, and when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on his, him his ornaments. For the Lord had said unto Moses, say unto the children of Israel, ye are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in the moment and consume thee. Therefore, now put off thy ornaments for thee, and I may, that I may know what to do with thee. In other words, folks, party over. Party over. It is better to be in the house of mourning than the house of weeping. I mean, than the house of feasting. <clears throat> for the, this is the end of all men. Party over. Take off all your ornaments and stand in mourning. Because I haven't decided what I'm going to do with you yet. You saw what I did to the 3,000. You saw what I did by the plague. And now wait. There may be more. 
And so he had gotten the, the, the attention of the people without a doubt. Verse number five, for the Lord had said unto Moses, excuse me, verse number seven, and Moses took the tabernacle, uh, took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp afar off from the camp and called it the tabernacle of congregations. And it came to pass uh, that Eve, everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of congregations. This is not the tabernacle. This is the tabernacle of congregations. This is a special tent that was devised. You remember the tabernacle hadn't been developed yet. You didn't put that thing together yet. That was coming later. But this was a special tent that was devised to catch the presence of God. It was no longer in the midst of the nation of Israel, which the tabernacle would be. It'd be right in the very center of the nation of Israel, showing forth God's presence and power and influence in the lives of these people, the nation of Israel. He said, put it outside the camp. I wanted outside the camp. And it was there in order that Moses might commune with God. Joshua went in, never came back out again. It was so sweet, he never came back out again. Verse number eight. And it came to pass, and Moses went out under the tabernacle, that all the people rose up <clears throat> and stood every man at his tent door and looked afar. Moses, until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended. Can you imagine that? Can you, can you imagine that? Freaked me out something. Unbelievable. The cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloud, cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped. He got their attention, didn't he? Their response is basically uh, that, that Moses was going in and getting the word from the Lord, this could be good and this could be real bad. Because God, God hadn't really uh, given forth his judgment, his complete judgment on this nation yet. And so he could have basically came back out of that tent that tent of congregations outside the camp and said, wipe them out, kill them all. I'm starting over again. And there would have been a slaughter in that nation as there was never before. And so they stood in their own tents in the doorway and they worshiped. That was a perfect position for them to be in. That is a great position for any of us to find ourselves in, uh, worshiping. And the Lord's, verse 11, I want you to notice this, and the Lord spake unto Moses face to face. Now, we know from verse 20 that it wasn't necessarily, this, is, this would be considered like a Hebrew idiom or something. It's not necessarily face to face because verse 20 says, no man has seen my face and lived. And so what this was, was it mouth to mouth. The idea is that he spoke mouth to mouth as a, now I want you to notice that word. This is amazing. Look at that word friend. It says, as a man speaketh unto his friend. Wow, what a relationship he had. Now, when I speak to my friends or I speak to someone that I know, it's, it's always in an audible fashion. We don't sit there and, and somehow with telepathy, you know, talking back. No. We use words, right? And this, this is what was going on. Moses had that kind of relationship that he spoke verbally with God. What, what a tremendous relationship he had. And what a tremendous intercessor 
and leader was Moses. Unbelievable, his devotion to these rebels. And so there, there he was with his friend, and he turned again into the camp. <clears throat> but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, <clears throat> and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. In other words, Moses is basically saying, listen, you said something about an angel. I don't know what you're talking about. What Moses is basically saying, listen, don't send me if you're not going. If you're not going, I'm staying. I, I don't even want to attempt this. I, they're, here, here we are, with, uh, upwards of two million people, and, and they're, they're, they're so obstinate, they're so prone to wander. I mean, and, and you, you're not going to go with me? I don't want to go then. Wow. What an attitude on the part of Moses. But the people at this time, they, they had realized that, that, that this, this, they were in trouble. Real trouble. Serious problems could befall them. Verse 13. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way. Wow, we, that's a good desire. You, you want a prayer to pray? There's a good one. Lord, show me thy way. I want to become so intimate with you. I want to walk in such close fellowship with you that I can understand your way. And you know what? It is quite evident from his response to this rebellious nation that he did know the mind and heart of God because he never gave up on the nation of Israel because God has even yet not ever given up on the nation of Israel. And then verse uh, ver, uh, verse 13, about halfway through, it says that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. He reminds God that these are your people. My presence shall go with thee. He's speaking to Moses. And I will give thee rest. Wow. I, listen, this is what was in front of him. Have you ever had a real big assignment? Your boss gives you this massive project that you just think, man, when I get through this, I will be happy, but I'm not going to be happy while it's going on. I, I recently had that with, a, with a, an inspection on our shop or whatever, and I just wanted to get out of it as quick as I could. Moses was about ready to lead two million rebels through a desert. And the Lord said, listen, I'm going to go with you. My presence is with you, and I'm going to give you rest. Rest? In the midst of that? That's almost impossible to think of, isn't it? But God will give you rest. He will give you rest. In the midst of a storm, there can be rest. You say, oh, man, I don't know. Man, I, I don't know. With faith and with real personal communion with the Lord Jesus Christ, on a daily basis, there can be rest. He promises that. My presence is with thee, verse number 15. And he said unto him, If thy presence go with me, carry us not 
up hence. For wherein shall it be known? Here, that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight. It is not in that thou goest with us, so shall we be separated. I and thy people from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And he, he tries to remind God of his, of, his, of his relationship with this nation. And then verse number 17 says this, And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do these, this thing also that thou hast spoken. In other words, I will go with the people. My presence will continue with these people. What a merciful, long-suffering and righteous God. And that's the God that Moses knew through intimacy and walking with the Lord on a day-to-day -day basis. Verse number 18, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. I guess Moses probably thought, you know, I'm on a roll now. And I asked the Lord to, to give me presence, and he gave him personal presence. Then he said, well, that, that's good, Lord. I, I agree with that, but you need to go with the people. The Lord said, it's part of my will. I'll do that too, verse number 17. And then he said, wow, this is really getting good. And then he said, show me thy glory. What a request. And it should be the request of our hearts. Oh, that we don't get so busy in this world and so swallowed up. And I am speaking for myself. When I picked up this passage, it was like a hammer. It's like it says. And it starts beating on you and beating on you. It reminds me of those, those craftsmen that took that gold and they fashioned it into that molten calf. They beat on it. Or that candlestick that it was beaten into submission. That's exactly what the word of God does to us, doesn't it? Show me thy glory. Let's, let's turn just real quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 because we're studying there. And this is all made manifest to us. Because we have the opportunity to do something that, that, that Moses couldn't do. We have the opportunity to live in his glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13. It says, And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfast look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Which veil is done away with in Christ? But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts. Nevertheless, when, it shall turn, when they shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is... There is liberty. Now listen to these words. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit 
of the Lord. Now go over to John chapter 17 and verse 24. I seek to make this point because I think it's important. John chapter 17 and verse 24. Father, this is the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of his disciples. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundations of the world. You see, we have an opportunity because the veil is no longer made out of thick material. It's made out of the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he dwells within us, so we have the opportunity to enjoy his glory. Do we do it? So very few do. So very few really have time. There's so much on my plate. My work is very demanding, you know. My time is extremely limited. And the Lord is standing back off to the side, up into that mountain area of our lives, and he's saying, come on up. I, I, I'd like to talk to you. I want to fellowship you. I want to talk to you for a little while. Come on up. Make the journey up, away from and two, and I want to fellowship with you, and I'll show you my glory. Now, <clears throat> so then we skip down to chapter 34. The Lord said unto Moses, Hew out two tablets of stone like unto the first, and I will write in the first tablet, uh, in the first tablets, which thou breakest. In other words, I'll write what was on the first tablets. And be ready in the morning, and come up in, in the morning unto the Mount Sinai, and present thyself there, and be and, and me in the top of the mountain. So he, he basically says to Moses, okay, you, you, you want to see my glory? I'm going to let you see my goodness. And he basically reiterates the fact that no man has seen me face to face and live, so he's going to show him his goodness. So, so be ready early in the morning, early in the morning, early in the morning. There's something about morning. Why, why does God say, now I'm not, I know, I know, I'm, I, I, do, I don't sleep in the morning very much. And you say, well, that's something you do, so you, you can preach on that, because well, I preach on plenty of that I don't do, and I'm just as guilty as everybody else. But it's good to get up in the morning. That's where your strength is. You've had a full night's rest, and, and you're, you're alert. You're as alert as you can be, and, and, and God says, come, meet me in the morning. I'll tell you what, you want to put yourself in real jeopardy? Go out in the morning without having spent any time with the Lord. Just bolt out the door. So much of the worries and, the, and, and, and worrying about what's uh, on your table and, and what's your, what your day uh, holds for you, just bolt out that door and keep running. And, and don't go there. And let me tell you, you've got disaster waiting for you. Because it, it's, just, it's just a bolt of your own human will. It's a manifestation of what you're going to do. I'm going to tackle this thing, and I'm going to bring this thing under control, and I'm going to get this thing, and we're, we're going to get this thing done. Go out in your own strength. Man, what a disaster. Lord says, come away. It doesn't have to take that long. You say, well, I don't have a lot of time in the morning. Well, come away. 
Come away for five minutes. Talk to me. We'll, we'll line up the day for you. We'll figure out the way that I want it done for you. And, and let me tell you, there'll be great success. And so Moses does so. He probably stayed up all night because God had told him to hew out two tablets of stone. You're to, you're to hew them out this time, uh, the ones that you broke, and uh, bring them up, and we're going to go through it all again. Because God does not give up. Verse number four. And he hewed two tablets of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up the Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. And the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him. Wow. This is, this is beyond what we can experience here. Stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. Now I want you to go back to Exodus chapter 20 because I think it gives us explanation that something is inserted there with the same exact words which are, which are reiterated uh, uh, more than once, more than three times in the scripture. Exodus chapter 20 uh, and verse number five and it says this, uh, it says in the middle there, it says, For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. He even calls his name Jealous, the portion that we're looking at. His name is Jealous. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. That's what he's dealing with, with the individuals that actually hate him. And those iniquities will not be sidestepped. Now, I, I want you to understand something here that's, that seems very clear to me, and that is that if this is what we're to receive, then we are all in deep trouble. Somehow or another, this aspect of grace and truth, as was reiterated last week, has to come together. And that would be something future, as the Lord Jesus Christ would be there upon Calvary's cross and die for our sins. So that our sins and iniquities could be forgiven. But I want you to notice something. Moses said, show me your glory. This is his glory. Listen again. It says, the Lord... The Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins that will be by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, unto the third and fourth generation. That's the glory of the Lord, his mercy his grace, his goodness, his truth. 
That's the glory of the Lord. And it was, it was manifested when the Lord Jesus Christ was sent to this earth and, and, and he died on our behalf in mercy, in grace, in truth, in justice. All these things were brought together on that day when the sun ceased to shine in the very brightness of the afternoon and the Lord Jesus Christ was stretched out on that cross and he cried, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The greatest manifestation of the grace of God was there on that cross when he sent his son to fulfill all of this that we have before us. And then we have to skip down <clears throat> because as, the Lord, as Moses is communing with God, And it says, well, let's go back to verse number eight. And Moses made haste and bowed his head towards earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let me, I pray thee, go among us. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquities and our sins and take us for thine inheritance. Moses never stops the intercessory job that was given to him by God in regards to the nation of Israel. Skip over to verse number 14. I want to point this out. For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. You can check yourselves out. You know, if the Spirit of God is in us and, and dwells in us, if we're truly born again by the Spirit and we have the indwelling of the Spirit of God, we know when we are overly occupied with something other than what we should be overly occupied with. We know, we're, we're, it's quite clear to us when we have taken our Dagons and we have laid them aside of the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and tried to get them to enjoy fellowship one with the other. We know when it doesn't work. It's not a mystery to anyone. I am convinced that if you have the Spirit of God in you, then the Spirit of God is going to make it very known when we are off base going the wrong direction, going the opposite way of the will of God. And, and, and we can do that. We can get caught up in that. Intimacy is predicated on obedience. Now, you notice I didn't say salvation. That's predicated on obedience, too. But if we desire to be intimate with the Lord, and there's certain people that, that may just consign themselves to this mundane walk of life where they, they're, they're so occupied by the world that you'd hardly even be able to 